Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. The rain stopped and the night turned sticky and warm. Jason didn't go back to his hotel until almost three in the morning. In between, he walked the streets of New York, tormented by one of those stretches of blackness that periodically descended on his mind. When he thought about his missing past, he didn't typically obsess about memories that were gone. He could live with that emptiness. He knew about the things he'd done, the places he'd gone. His skills were still there, like motor instincts that never went away. What he'd lost more than anything else was a sense of who he was, his real identity. Two years ago, on the boardwalk in Quebec City, Abby Laurent had asked him that same question. Who do you think you are? He'd answer her without hesitation, a killer. This was one of those nights when he had to face that truth about himself all over again. He was what Treadstone had made him, and Kenna Martin had paid the price for it. But he couldn't change, and he couldn't stop. Hello, and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Brian Freeman is the author of psychological suspense novels featuring Jonathan Stride and Serena Dial, and the series featuring Cab Bolton and Frost Easton. He's also written two previous novels in the Jason Bourne franchise, continuing on from Robert Ludlum's original creations and those of Eric Van Lustbader. But today I'm talking to Brian Freeman about his latest book in the Jason Bourne series of psychological thrillers, The Bourne Sacrifice. Brian, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. The Bourne series of psychological thrillers has a long history that began back in 1980 with Robert Ludlum's The Bourne Identity, then The Bourne Supremacy and The Bourne Ultimatum. The baton was passed to you, Brian, with The Bourne Evolution, followed by The Bourne Treachery. And now to the book we're talking about today, The Born Sacrifice. My first question has got to be, is it intimidating, challenging, or somehow satisfying to continue writing about an iconic character who was not of your own invention? It's kind of all of the above. Uh, I, I think my first reaction uh, when I heard that uh, uh, that Putnam and the Ludlam Estate had uh, had selected me to, to carry on the Jason Bourne series was, uh, oh my God. And uh, my, my second reaction was, oh my God. <laughs> because uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's an extraordinary opportunity. It, it's, it's just a heck of a lot of fun, but uh, sure, it's, it's intimidating to think about stepping into the shoes of you know, a real giant of the thriller genre like Robert Ludlum and, and a character who's so, uh, you know, enduring and iconic as Jason Bourne. Um, and, uh, and as a writer, it was certainly, uh, it was kind of an intimidating creative to challenge about taking over a character that I had not originally created. But ultimately, I, I began to realize that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, Jason Bourne has been in my life uh, longer than any of my own characters. I mean, I first read The Born Identity uh, all the way back in 1980 when I was 17 years old. And uh, uh, so I've, I've had Born in my life uh, a long, long time. And uh, the, the, the Born Identity was always one of my favorite novels. And, uh, um, and so it, it actually felt pretty natural back when I was writing The Born Evolution to be able to kind of, you know, bring Jason Bourne to life because I, I had felt kind of close to him throughout, uh, throughout most of my life. And what makes Jason Bourne such an enduring character 
That's a great question. Uh, there have been so many iterations of Bourne over the years. Uh, you had uh, three novels by Ludlum. All of them were number one bestsellers. Uh, uh, Eric von Lusbader took over and did either 10 or 11 Jason Bourne novels, uh, and then obviously had uh, the, the spectacularly successful Matt Damon movies that uh, that were seen around the world. Um, and, and I may be one of the few people that remember that uh, uh, actually uh, long before uh, Matt Damon was Jason Bourne, uh, Richard Chamberlain was actually Jason Bourne uh, in an NBC miniseries in the 1980s with uh, uh, Jacqueline Smith of Charlie's Angels fame as Marie St. Jacques. So, um, uh, so yeah, uh, Jason Bourne as a character has has been around for you know more than 40 years and has gone through so many different interpretations in people's mind. I think that what really makes him uh, uh, such a favorite among readers is the fact that. He's not a superhero. Um, you know, he's not the, the the James Bond who's always cool and suave and in control. He's not the Jack Reacher that uh, can you know kind of you know master any situation. Um, he's he's fractured psychologically. He he doesn't have any memory of his past, and and more than that, I think he really struggles with you know, who he is and, and the nature of his morality. What, what is he? Is he a moral man? Is he a killer? Um, and, and while you can take that, you know, to a dramatic extreme as, as you do in the Bourne books, I think that's the kind of struggle that we all face as people to, to kind of really understand who we are and to ask those questions of ourselves. And so I think that, that Bourne's struggle really resonates with readers. Part of his mission in this book, The Born Sacrifice, is to reclaim his past after taking a bullet to the head on a Treadstone mission. Who or what is Treadstone? Yeah, Treadstone is the uh, is is the offshoot of the CIA that uh, that originally uh, put Bourne in the field and uh, and trained him to become a killer. Um, uh, Treadstone has a, a little bit different role depending on which iteration of Bourne you're looking at. The, the the Treadstone of the the Matt Damon movies is quite a bit different from the Treadstone that you'll find in uh, Robert Ludlum's Jason Bourne novels. Um, and in uh, in the Bourne Identity, Treadstone is the organization that was uh, attempting uh, to take down the assassin uh, known as Carlos. And, uh, and so they, uh, they created this identity of, uh, of an assassin called Jason Bourne to essentially go out and, uh, uh, and lure Carlos out of hiding and try to take him down. Uh, but of course, Jason Bourne end up, ended up being shot in the process of this and, and losing his memory of who he was and not understanding what had led him to this point and where all these strange skills had come from. Um, and I think that, that Treadstone ends up playing kind of a, a, a larger role as you go forward in, in the Bourne series and in the Bourne movies because Treadstone sort of stands in for uh, the, um, the inability of, of, of Bourne to, to trust the people around him, uh, and he he doesn't uh, he doesn't have faith in the government that has put him in the field, and and he doesn't uh, he doesn't really trust anyone but himself, and, and in the books his his wife Marie Saint Jacques, um, and so that was something that I really tried to bring out in in rebooting the Bourne series was the idea that. Uh, Bourne is really kind of out there on his own, and uh, and and he doesn't trust you know the government around him, and it ends up I think being a a rather topical theme these days. Uh, if if you go back to uh, uh, to the to the nineteen seventies when when Ludlum was writing the Bourne Identity, that was an era driven by Watergate and and Vietnam and and a lot of conspiracy theories about government and a lot of distrust of of what the government was telling people. Um, you know, fast forward to uh, to the twenty twenties, and and I. 
I think you face uh, a lot of similar things in the world. So uh, for me, it, it really felt uh, that this was a, a, the ideal time to kind of bring Bourne back and, and, and reboot the series because the, 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 the cultural, social, and political uh, environment uh, for Bourne is actually, I think, in a lot of ways, very parallel to what it was when, when Bourne first hit the scene. And of course, we've got to talk about Nash Rollins, who, well, is he the head of Treadstone? It's, that, that's one of the interesting things about these books. There's a, uh, a shadowy element about just about everybody. Nash Rollins puts a proposition to Bourne and they make an agreement. And that, I guess, is perhaps the foundation of the story. Tell us about that proposition. When I was writing the last Bourne book, which was the Bourne Treachery, uh, I wanted to, um, to to sort of pay homage to the um, to the element of the Bourne identity that dealt with Bourne going after the the master assassin Carlos, and so uh, I created sort of a nemesis for Bourne, uh, an assassin named Lennon, who actually takes his uh, identity from, from John Lennon of the Beatles. And, uh, and so they, they sort of do battle with each other in, in the Bourne treachery, and that carries over into the Bourne sacrifice, where, where Bourne is still on the hunt for this assassin known as Lennon. And, uh, and, and Bourne has tried to distance himself from Treadstone and the CIA because of the idea that uh, uh, they've sort of constantly betrayed him over the years and he, and he can't trust them. And yet at the same time, it, it's hard to escape that Treadstone web. And that's really um, the role that Nash Rollins plays because Nash uh, has always been Bourne's handler uh, with, uh, with Treadstone. And, uh, and so Bourne, uh, Bourne knows Nash well and, and doesn't really trust Nash. And yet at the same time, he also needs him and needs the resources that come along with that. And so uh, uh, Nash essentially uh, uh, makes a deal with him that, uh, that, that he'll help uh, Bourne on the hunt for Lenin, but at the same time, he wants Bourne uh, to try to figure out who is Lenin working for now, and uh, and and try to uh, sort of do kill kill two birds with one stone, and uh, figure out not only uh, where this assassin is is operating, but what in fact he's doing right now. And that, of course, brings us to this organization called the Pyramid. Uh, they're described as a group who could make a witness video disappear, invent an alias for a dead woman, and wipe her off customs records. They could post fake statements and keep news of a murder out of the press. That sounds something very familiar to all of us today. Yeah, it it, it does sound familiar. That that's uh, that's one of the things I love in in the Bourne novels, and and I I do that in some of my uh, my own novels under my own name as well. That uh, I like to take kind of those ripped from the headlines uh, plots and uh, and and have the reader enmeshed in something they think they could be reading about the the next day in the the newspaper or seeing on television. Um, so I think over the past few years uh, that there's been a lot of questions coming up about you know can you really rely on what the, uh, the media is telling you and uh, uh, what, what kind of disinformation and misinformation is out there uh, online and uh, throughout the media. Um, and so I decided in writing The Born Sacrifice to play off that theme and to, to sort of lean into the idea of this media conspiracy. And so the, the pyramid uh, is, is a group of uh, well-intentioned, powerful people that are trying to theoretically combat misinformation and disinformation, but the, uh, the, the, the techniques they use to do that ultimately prove uh, that in a lot of cases, sometimes the, uh, uh, the cure is worse than the disease. Every hero has a weakness, and despite Jason Bourne's reminder to himself, never get involved, he is involved, and he has a relationship with Abby Laurent. 
She hasn't seen him for two years. Where does Abby Laurent fit in to Jason Bourne's life and the conspiracy theories that surround him? The character of Abby Laurent first came up in uh, my first Jason Bourne novel, The Bourne Evolution. And uh, she was this uh, very strong Canadian journalist that um, uh, that Bourne fell for uh, in, in the context of that novel. And, uh, and, and I, I knew that I wanted to bring Abby back uh, in the Born sacrifice, because I think their relationship is uh, is is such an important part of Born's life. Um, I think one of the things that readers of the Ludlum novels will realize is that um, Jason Bourne in in Ludlum's world is not the uh, the, the the cynical loner that you find in the Matt Damon movies. Um, Bourne is actually a man who needs someone in his life. When he's a loner, he's he's not a loner by choice. He feels like he's a loner by necessity that he can't safely bring a woman into his life because as soon as he does, he puts her at risk, he puts her in danger. Uh, and so that's the, the essential tension in Bourne's relationship with Abby Laurent. Abby loves Bourne and, and really Bourne uh, loves Abby as well. And yet he's constantly worried that uh, by having Abby in his life, uh, he's putting her in danger. And uh, so that becomes part of the essence of the Bourne sacrifice. One of the great aspects to this book is this web of intrigue you spin. Uh, it sometimes it seems to loop back on itself and then loop back out again. It's not just of characters, but of organisations. Uh, I wondered if you have a some kind of classified flow chart somewhere so that you can keep track of everybody. But uh, Varak and the Varak Institute, Sarah Cole, these expanding loops that wind back on themselves. How do you keep track of all that? Yeah, it's layers within layers within layers of conspiracy. Uh, that's um, that that's one of the real fun things about writing the Bourne novels, and uh, and I think that was very much a trademark of of Ludlum's style. Uh, he he loved to be able to build out uh, these very intricate conspiracies and and put those at the center of his plots, and and so I've been trying to do. Uh, the same thing, and and really build a, a plot that would that would uh, evoke a Ludlum novel for the readers. Um, so um, yeah, so it, it, these these conspiracies uh, they, uh, they 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 kind of build on each other, and you're never sure who to trust, and and you're never sure what's real and what's not, and uh, and and that's very much you know Bourne's experience uh, in in the world is is he doesn't know who he can trust and what he can trust, and uh, uh, and can he really believe. Uh, what he sees, um, uh, but at the same time, it, uh, it it it's also just fun for, for the the reader, I think, to be able to kind of spin these things out and uh, and and take things that you see in in the day to day world and and say, well, could that really be happening? And sort of spin it out to the dramatic extreme. So we've talked about characters, we've talked about plot. There's another element in these novels, and that is locations. They play a big part in creating tension in your Bourne series. They're particularly detailed and evocative, even sinister in many cases. How do you go about recreating those? Do you visit these places? There's uh, particular ones in Iceland, which are, you know, the darkness is uh, actually quite terrifying. Yeah, I am. I'm a big believer that that place is absolutely central to thrillers. Uh, I think that the location enriches the drama of uh, every chapter for the reader. So I always want to give readers uh, a "you are there" feel, as if you've been dropped down into every scene and you can hear it and touch it and taste it and smell it and feel it happening all around you. 
Um, I, I call it the six senses of place. It's, it's not even just about the physical sensations of what it's like to be in a particular area. It's also uh, the emotions that a location evokes. It's the memories that a location evokes. How does it feel inside your gut to be standing in a particular place? Uh, and that's what I always want to, uh, to have come out in every chapter for the reader. Um, you know, I, I always love to visit all the locations where I set a book personally, because I, I think that's kind of um, kind of like what a, a film director would do. You know, you're scouting out locations to, to find just the perfect place for every chapter in the book. Um, but, yeah, you know, the uh, the last uh, the last few years have made that a little bit difficult uh, because uh, in the wake of COVID, uh, it certainly has been much more of a challenge to uh, to actually be in all the places that I'd want to be because you know, clearly you just haven't had the opportunity to, uh, to go around the world that, uh, in, in a way that I would have in the past. Um, so uh, you end up doing a lot of research uh, and, and really trying to immerse yourself in a particular location. Um, Iceland was a, a great example. The, the Born Sacrifice starts out with uh, this, this wonderful set piece uh, over in uh, Iceland. Um, I've actually never been to Iceland, um, but uh, uh, there, there's actually a lot of similarities, I think, between the, the nature of the climate in Iceland and the, and the nature of the climate in, uh, in Minnesota, where I live. So uh, um, I was able to kind of pour some of that into the, um, into the book. And, uh, and one of the things I do, it, it's kind of a, a trade secret if, if for, for writers uh, who are, are, are not able to travel in the, in the, in the COVID era, um, not only, you know, does, does, you know, uh, Google Earth give you the chance to go places and kind of walk down the streets, uh, I actually use a, a 3D Oculus headset so that I can actually kind of put myself in the middle of the, uh, the scene and, and walk up and down the streets that I'm portraying. Um, would I love to be there? Absolutely. But that's kind of the next best thing if, uh, if I can't actually get there in person. We can't talk about the Bourne series without talking about Matt Damon, uh, who's played Jason Bourne in the films. As much as I like and enjoy the movies and Matt Damon's portrayal of Jason Bourne as a character, your books bring so much more to the character and to the plots. And it reminds me of how powerful a book can be and why detail matters and exactly why books are nearly always the inspiration for the movies. When you're talking about a movie, um, a movie is, first of all, a, a condensed time frame. You're only talking about anywhere from you know 90 minutes to two and a half hours, as opposed to a book where you're going to be spending probably you know, 10, 12 hours or more with, with that manuscript. Um, and a movie can beautifully evoke uh, two of your senses. Um, you, you can see a movie, you can hear a movie, and it, it, can, you know, it can tremendously uh, uh, create uh, those senses for you. But what a book can do uh, is evoke all of your senses. Uh, so you're not just limited as an author to what the reader can see and what the reader can hear. You can kind of, you know, feed into all of their senses. And, and as I said about place, it's not even just a function of your physical senses, but you're also dealing with a reader's emotions and memories and, and fears and hopes and dreams. You can bring all those things to life in a manuscript. And I think that's why for the passionate reader, the, the, the book becomes so alive. And, uh, um, and I think it's also why in a lot of cases, the passionate readers tend to be the ones that are most disappointed in the movie versions of books because they, they've had such an active, involved, imaginative relationship with that, with that novel that it's hard for a movie ever to sort of do justice to what they've created in their heads. Well, that's certainly a great addition to the Jason Bourne series. And Brian, I want to thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you.
I've been talking to Brian Freeman about his latest book in the Jason Bourne series, The Bourne Sacrifice. It's published in Australia by Bloomsbury, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.